0: So, yeah, yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to speak over you, Mark, that you are a gift to this body, that you are gifted with things that the Holy Spirit wants us to receive from you. And right now, as you bring the word to us, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you use Mark to speak to us. I ask Holy Spirit that the word that comes out of his mouth will have an anointing on it from you. That that anointing, your anointing, will, will um, pierce our hearts. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts with your word this morning. May each of us receive from you the one thing that we individually need this morning so that we can leave here changed and on a path with you. That will take us to be more like Jesus. So speak through Mark this morning. Help him to keep his mind clear. um, Help him to uh, remember what you have spoken to him. So that we can be blessed through him this morning. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Holy Spirit. Fill him more right now. You're filling. You're filling. Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. You know, um, this week, we, uh, we've we had Jessica staying, our daughter, staying with us for a couple of days. James has gone home to see his mates to play golf, I think. and Oh, and his parents, <laughs> but mainly to play golf. And uh, one of the things that we were kind of reflecting on is some of the things that have happened over the last few weeks and, and few months. And, uh, you know, when you you think about some of the things that might have happened in your life or uh, in the lives of others, you can actually become quite cynical and you can become hurt and you can become all sorts of things. But one of the things that we, we were reflecting on is that we've all changed as a result of the last 18 months and society has changed. And I'm not sure at this point that society has changed for the better. I think it's, people have become much more selfish and much more driven by their own desires, their own wants and less understanding of other people's positions. And and you can kind of get why that would be, can't you? We've been separated from other people. We've only had what has been going on in our own heads and in our own little households. And so it's inevitable in that, that the enemy will use that to, to kind of close things down. But we don't have to accept that in the church family. We don't have to accept that, that that life needs to be driven by my wants, my my desires, my perfect outcomes for everything, because we're called not to be self-focused and self-centred. We're called to be servants of all. And And it's so important that at this time that we really... Uh, pause and ask ourselves about some of our motivations. Why are we taking the decisions we're taking at the moment? How much of that is driven by God? And how much of that is driven by the enemy? And how much of it is driven by our own flesh? And and we need to look at the decisions we take in in the light of that and, and, and really examine them. Because As I've said, I think the the real big thing that God wants to bring out of this to turn what the enemy meant for harm for good is he wants change in the body of Christ. Not change in, in, in the way we do church or organise church or the way we present ourselves or anything like that. I think he just wants us to change. He wants us to be bigger and better people, people of character, people of integrity. People who are not fearful of the enemy, but people who return to their first love with, uh, of Christ and their love for each other and operate in integrity and love rather than selfishness and self-focus and offense and all the rest of the stuff that might have crept in over uh, these last 18 months or so. You see, it's so important that we, we think about these things and we take like that kind of health check. And you know, I I I know that's something that I've been doing myself. You know, you 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 taking time to just really assess what's happened uh, in my heart over these last eighteen months. You see, the 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 problem is that when we when we think thoughts and when we indulge these sort of thoughts and when we get over into all that selfishness or offence or or whatever, when when we do that and we think thoughts that are wrong or false or unworthy of God then uh, you know what we're actually doing is we're indulging desires of our own flesh that the enemy plays on and whilst we might not know that whilst we might not recognize it in ourselves it's so important that we do start to recognize that because when that happens it damages our souls and that's why, you know, our souls need caring for, our souls need looking for, looking after. You know, sometimes we, 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 we steam ahead, but as damaged people, we do more harm than good. And I, I'm sure that you've experienced that in your own lives, haven't you? Where you, 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 you've seen people really steaming ahead and doing things and, and getting on with all sorts of things. But actually, because they've got damaged souls, or disintegrated souls, as I called it last week, they actually cause a lot of damage. Immensely uh, gifted people whose character doesn't match. And that, that, that is damaging. Where does that come from? It comes from a damaged soul, a disintegrated soul. And last week, uh, you know, we, we got to the point where I was just looking at, at what the makeup of the soul was. Because if we're going to fix things and uh, care for things, we need to know how they work. And we looked at this, this kind of summary picture, didn't we, of the mind, the will and emotions, and, and that, that integration of them, which we call your soul, which makes you the unique you. So look at the person next to you and say, I'm, I'm absolutely nothing like you. I'm me. I'm me. I'm unique. And God values me for who I am. There's a unique me, a unique me. And your soul is what integrates all those emotions, all those thoughts, all that, all that will, uh, and your feelings, and your values, and your conscience, and, the, and, and all those pull together and make you the unique you. And, and the, 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 your soul is what gives you your life. It's what determines your life. Now, you can't determine what happens outside you. What happens in the world around you? Nobody could determine and say, you know, that I, I'm deciding that we don't really have coronavirus or anything like that. Things happen because we live in a fallen world that is full of sickness, full of sin, and full of death. And these things we can't control. But what we can do in an unhealthy world is to be healthy in here. And that's why we need to care for our soul. You see, not caring for... Our inner life will allow that outer life to disintegrate our soul, to move it from that integrated whole that makes you the unique uh, living soul that God intends you to be, to disintegrate, to be pulled apart, to be messed around. Because the the outer leading the inner is a reversal of the way God planned this. You see, God planned that man would have dominion, and that means that the inner overcomes or has dominion over the outer. Now, the, the, the thing there is that God breathed into it Adam and made him a living soul. And obviously Adam fell and it, that all got messed up, but Jesus has now made it possible to deal with that disintegration. And you know, I, w- I was thinking about this and I was thinking, well, you know, what does it look like? And we see um, and experience the impact of disintegrated souls all the time, don't we? And people that we encounter, people that we bump into. We had uh, a, a really good couple who were really close friends of ours. We used to go to their house on New Year's Eve when we both had little kids. In fact, we knew them before any of us had kids. They lived around the corner. Uh, he effectively did the same job as I did, but in another partnership. So we were kind of competitors, but we were we were close friends. And he, he was a, a really nice guy. Uh, he, he was a believer, different to us, more traditional. He came from a, a Catholic background. He'd grown up in a Catholic background. And what happened is that over time, he devoted his life to his career. Now, you might say, well, that's, o- that's okay, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. I mean, we have these soul drivers where we actually do do things, and there's something in us that wants to achieve things. But that can get out of balance. And when that gets out of balance, it affects our souls. And, you know, he wasn't always that person who was so devoted to his career. And, and I remember, you know, I used to get up really early to go to work, and I used to, because we both worked in Manchester and living in Preston, I used to get really early to go to work, but he was always gone long before I was, and I used to come home really late, but he was always later than I was, and, uh, you know, I I, I sometimes remember thinking, like, his kids just don't see him, I mean, my kids didn't see much of me, and that wasn't great, but his kids just didn't see him, and, uh, you know, his priority became his career, and uh, what happened was uh, you know I used to chat to him about this and and share about this because we used to do stuff together we used to go skid pan driving courses and paintballing and all these sort of strange things that guys do together and I used to talk to him about this and and he and this is, this is the answer now it's a, it's a good answer isn't it but we have to be aware of what's happening to our soul when we say these things and he said to me well all I'm trying to do is provide for my family the best I can. Well that's right, isn't it? But when things get out of balance, it damages our soul. And you know they they, they moved house they they bought an old house and then converted it and built it into this amazing place with lots of gardens and grounds and I went and helped them paint the edges and you know when I was a bit more adventurous and my back wasn't so dicky you know when I was a bit younger and you know the truth is about this what what we can watch and how we can tell the state of our soul and this is why I'm kind of telling this story because you can't tell it by I'm only trying to provide for my family the best I can when we talk about the state of our soul, how do we assess it? Because our own hearts are deceptive. How do we assess the state of our soul? We assess the state of our soul by our devotions, where we're spending our time, where our energy goes, where our emotions go, where um, our, our passion goes. And also, you know, when, where, where our decisions follow. And, and, and the things we decide to do or not do in our life. And, wh- and, and that gives us an indication of where our soul is, what, what the issue is, and, and where our soul lies. And so we, we do that. And, and what, what happened is that in the end, his job uh, kind of eroded his marriage, he uh, met somebody else, uh, he left the home, they, they separated, they got divorced. And it left behind, you know, we've seen over there as a shattered family. And one of the, the things that I, I would do, because we were down here by then, is that I would go back up and I'd try and meet him and we, we'd chat and so on. But eventually, kind of that, it just stopped. He, he t- stopped taking my calls. I'm really sad about that. Because he was kind of the person that I was closest to when, when we were up there, because we had so much in common. But the reality is that's what a disintegrated soul looks like, where the outer governs and ends up dominating the inner. And we can tell that by where our devotions and our time and our passions go. So I I just wanted to share that story with you because I think it's not always obvious to ourselves why we do what we do, because our souls are damaged. But we, we we all have a time right now where we assess how why are we taking the decisions we're taking? Are we taking them out of fear? Are we taking them out of selfishness? Are we taking them out of wanting to uh, pressure other people into doing things the way I want them done and all that sort of stuff? And we need to really assess that and say what what is it that's driving me in there? What is it that's driving me in there? And uh, Jesus said this, and this is from Mark chapter 8, and and in context, it's verse 34 to 37. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, because you know the verse, because you've heard it so many times. And the verse is this, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? Now, I'd always thought of that verse in terms of destination. Destination. Like where am I going? Where's the end point? Uh, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? You know, uh, and and often we can use that as as kind of an evangelism verse that we quote. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? But when you actually read that verse in context, it's not restricted just to an eternal destiny point of view. And I hadn't realised that before, and it really struck me recently that Jesus, it, what what he's actually doing is he's talking about a diagnosis rather than a di- destination. He's talking about a diagnosis of a problem that we have as human beings, which is we, we we try to gain that outer world in order to feel right inside. And Jesus is saying in this, you know, living at odds with the get- way God set us up to receive life um, if, you, if you're doing that, then even if you acquire the whole world, even if you're the greatest success story on earth, even that could not satisfy you. And we see that, don't we, at a, a small level in our own lives and in the lives of others around us. And then you see at this big level of these guys that have billions and billions of pounds And how they're always driven on to the next thing and and yet struggling in personal lives and and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, what Jesus is saying is when you look and you, you, you measure who you are in terms of how much of the world you have gained, in other words, how other people see you, how your uh, reputation goes before you how you successfully you've been how much money you've made how big your house is what color your car is all the rest of it when you measure yourself on the basis of those things you end up in reality disconnecting from that breath of life that makes you a living soul and as a result of that your soul disintegrates it loses that integration and then you struggle and you ask questions like, what, who am I really? What is this all about? What value do I have? Am I any good at anything? And we ask all those sort of questions. And so th- that's kind of where we get to. And I came across across this quote and I, and I, and I love this, this quote um, because it really is one of those that pulls you up short. Just in the context of that, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? This is a quote I came across. To lose my soul means I no longer have a healthy center that organizes and guides my life and choices. It doesn't matter how... I am a car without a steering wheel. It doesn't matter how fast I can go or how smartly I can corner because I'm a crash waiting to happen. And I I think that's a challenge to all of us, because maybe you know that crash hasn't happened. Maybe you know we we there's not that um, you know huge event that pulls us up short. But I think inside we all know that we we need some repair to 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 go on in there, and we need to have a look at what's going on in there. And here's the good news: Jesus is the perfectly integrated soul. He's the model. We were made in the image and the likeness of God. That's how God still intends us to be, and I'm, go- I'm going to come on to that in a minute. But the, the reality is, is, you know, Roger will tell you and Connie will tell you and Olive and everybody involved in worship on the streets and those who've been involved uh, before lockdown in Go Baby and all that sort of stuff. We live in a pla- on a planet of lost souls. Souls who need to have this repair. Souls who need to... Uh, know where the source of life is that that doesn't just doesn't fix their outside life but restores their inner life and gives them peace and joy and and confidence and and value you know I I think sometimes we've we spent a long time in the body of Christ trying to tell people that Jesus is going to fix your outside life and and in some you know we are blessed we are favored god's given us his promises but the reality is the thing he's most concerned about is reaching lost souls whose inner life isn't fixed and that includes us whose inner life needs fixing and you know that's not a superficial thing about getting just the right destination when you die uh Because you've managed to join the right church and affirm the right doctrine. Sometimes we we can think like that, can't we? You know, I I need to be in this church because that's got the right doctrines. And the other church thinks, well, you need to be in this church because I've got the right doctrine. This is all superficial stuff. The reality is that Jesus is talking about the depth of the human condition. And the human condition is our soul's. So Jesus is this perfectly integrated living soul. He's made it possible for us to be like him. He's opened up the path so that we can freely go into the presence of God because we've been forgiven and washed clean of all our sins. He's given us a new covenant written in his blood by which we can live. And he's given us a church body, a church family, to be part of who will value us and we'll value them. That, that, that's Jesus's great master plan for fixing our souls. And here's, here's the bottom line of soul care. Soul care is to let God breathe life into your soul so that you become a fully living soul. I came to give you life and life in all its abundance. So how does God breathe life into our souls? Well, I'm going to take you to a a passage now. Um, I've got my Bible in case it's too small. I can just about read it on here, but Jules will put it up on the screen for for who can't because it's tiny on mine. Put on the new man. This is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 to 16. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, why is there a therefore? Because you just said something that you had to put on the the new man, renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Therefore, as the elect of God, that's you, As holy, that's you, as beloved, deeply beloved of God, that is you. Put on, there it is again, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. There it is, that's that inner soul, isn't it? That's, That's an integrated soul, that's a reflection of who Christ is. If anyone is to complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Isn't that, I, I, it's really interesting that, isn't it? That, that switches the way things were before. Before, it was forgive so you can be forgiven. Now Jesus is saying, now you're a new man. The motivation isn't just to get something here by forgiving. The motivation is you forgive because you're a forgiver. That's who you are. If you're not a forgiver, if you're offended, you're not living from a new man. Warning sign, you're living from the flesh and not from the spirit. Warning sign. You're not going to have a healthy soul if you're an unforgiving person. You're not going to have a healthy soul if you're an offended person. So because you're forgiven, forgive others. Because there's no offense between you and God now, don't be offended. Above all these things, so even more important than that, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So what do we see in that passage about what it means to be a person who's breathing this new life of God, to become a living soul? How does uh, does our soul come truly alive? Now here's the good news. Paul in that passage, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, this is how your soul becomes truly alive. If you want a soul that is truly alive, this is the key. And there's three things he says, three, say three, three. Number one, the word, the word of God. Number two, connection with God. Number three connection with others and not letting anything come between us. So three things. The word, connection with God and connection with the body that you're part of, not letting anything come between us. And he said, that's how you guys are going to look after your souls. If you don't have one of those three things or you don't value one of those three things, you're going to be in trouble in your soul. And we've got this word, haven't we, that I kind of pointed out, I think it's highlighted up there. Put on. Put on the new man. It's not on there. The first one's not on there. Uh, The second one's on. Put on. And the third one's on. Put on. So what does that tell me? It tells me I've got to do something about it. It, it's, It's my job to look after me. Not anybody else's job it's my job to look after me I'm gonna look after me word connection with God and being part of a body not letting anything come between you that's that's Jesus's design for giving his life putting our souls right and this word put on let me just say this uh, and, and I will finish with this in shortly but well not so shortly is that we are the keepers of our souls Nobody else is going to look after our souls if we don't. We are the keeper of our souls. And that word put on is a Greek word, enduo. Now, that's made up of two root words, en, which means in, in and duo, which is the same word as we uh, know more familiar word dunamis, comes from. Power. In power. So, But the idea, when you put the two together, is to put something into something. So we are containers designed for the life of God. Isn't that amazing? We're containers designed for the life of God. You are perfectly designed as a container for the life of God. And he wants to put something in to give you that life. And... You know, when we, we we look at that, that, that when we put that dynamis or duo part of it together, in this context, what it means is the ability to move forward, the ability to advance, the ability to become all of you, all that you can be, and all that you were designed to be. You know, you're created to receive this kind of divine infusion. You know, I know we I know m- most of us have well, I think most of us have had one job, a lot of us have had two jobs. We've had a divine infusion, of vaccine, <laughs> of a vaccine, but it's the same. Jesus, Jesus has designed us so he can put stuff in us. So where do you get this divine infusion? Where do you get this life from? Well, in verse 10, it says this. Um, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And a little bit further on, it says, but Christ is all and in all. And so where, where do you get this? Well, you get this, where is it? That's the question, where is it? It's, it's okay, like where, where's the little uh, thing that's going to give us this, this infusion? Where's the, the hypodermic or whatever? Where do we find it? Well, obviously you don't go along to a centre and get it from a box. So we need to know where this is. And it tells us, this infusion that we need is in Christ Jesus. And you go, oh, it's gonna be a bit esoteric for me now. No, it's not. Sometimes our minds shut down and we think, because we don't understand the simplicity of God's plan. You see, this is in Christ Jesus. And verse three, which I haven't put up there, says, just you know, coming up to this, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So this is in Christ Jesus and God has put you in Christ. So this is all around you, it's ready, it's present. It's in the presence and life of God himself that he wants to breathe into you. So it's not difficult, it's immediate. It's it's as close as the air you breathe. But in order to um, realise this and in order to care for our souls, we need to turn our attention to the spiritual realities that are around us and away from the physical realities that are besetting us. And and, and life now has got so busy and so quick it's harder to do that than it used to be. But it is just as necessary as it ever was for thousands of years. It's so important. And you know we've got so functional about our Christian lives and so compartmentalised we live with Christ, the presence of God, all around us, open all the time. And he wants to breathe this life into our souls. And you know, sometimes we've, we've come up with all these great ideas to fix people's souls and fix people's hearts. And the answer is it's hidden with Christ in God and you are in Christ and it's available. But we need these three things, the word connection with God and connection with others. And, and we turn our attention to this spiritual reality. You see, this, the, these verses say, you are renewed. That means made like new. There's nothing clever about renewed. Made like new. Made like new again. You are renewed. That means to m- you move from one stage to a higher stage to a higher stage. You might think of that. Uh, I know Sarah Green's favorite verse, Nicholas' favorite verse, transform. When it talks about uh, renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created, it, that, that word image uh, could it have just have been created likeness. You remember in, in um, Genesis, when God first created man, it said He made him in the likeness. And so. He's the idea is now he's transforming us back in that likeness, rescuing us from death, rescuing us from this this sinful life, rescuing us from all that stuff that's disintegrated our souls, all that that thing that's gone on and he's rescuing us, transforming us back into his likeness. And, you know, so that's the first thing, you know, we've got to connect and see God for who he is so we can see what we're meant to become and who we really are. The second thing is this connection with others. And you know that's been the subject of the enemy's attack on the church for the last eighteen months. That is the fighting ground where we have to assess how are we going to fight back at his attempt to stop us connecting how we How are we going to make this a reality? What will it take from me? What will it take in my life to reestablish the connection with others in this body, in this church family? to the fullest extent. And in doing that, I can't be afraid because Jesus says, have no fear. In doing that, I can't be selfish because Jesus says, you're the servant of all. In doing that, I can't run to my own agenda because my life is his and it runs to his agenda. And so we connect with others. Now, here's the thing that I'm not naive enough. Sometimes I wish I was more naive, but I'm not. I'm not naive enough to think that we have all, as a family of God, that we've got through 18 months of this lockdown and not got offended at some point with somebody or offended with the church or offended with God. I'm not naive enough to think that that would have been a reality for some people. And, and and some of us have got offended and honestly, probably for some very good reasons. Why? Because we're imperfect human beings on our way to being transformed into likeness of God, and we don't get it all right. But when we when we when we let that offense come between us, we pray, we play on the enemy's playground. We damage our own souls. And that's destructive in us. And hurtful for us, but it's also confusing for us. And it makes us do all sorts of things and and, and see all sorts of things in a way that isn't actually the reality. Why? Because we've disintegrated inside to some extent by letting that fence get in. And that's why Paul says here, you know, uh, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone's got a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. And above all those things, you should love. And, And, you know, We've had this opportunity to be offended, probably multiple opportunities to be offended with, if not one person in the body of Christ, several people in the body of Christ. And, and we've all had this other opportunity, which is to settle into this kind of dulled down living where we, 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 we become prisoners of our own thought life. And we, we end up like somehow just like the life's gone out of us. Where there was a fight, where there was no fear, now there's fear. Now there's no fight, uh, and and we need to realise that God wants to breathe His life into us and repair us, but we can't be repaired if we won't acknowledge that's where we are. You know, some people getting all the not. uh, So I've gone off my notes now. You won't get this verse. Getting all the not about uh, First John um, verse nine, where it says, "Confess your sins." and he who is faithful and just will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And people say, well, is Jesus' forgiveness, con- you know, do you have to c- keep confessing and confessing? And if you haven't got anything confessed when you die, does that mean you're going to hell? And you get, like, whole books on this verse. My way of thinking, just cutting through all that, um, because it's it's not very exciting to read those books, I have to say. But my way of thinking to cut all th- way through that is the issue isn't whether Jesus has forgiveness and Jesus has paid for our sins. The issue is what this is doing to me. What's this offence doing to me? What's this, this unforgiveness doing to me? What's this bitterness doing to me? And Jesus is saying there's a problem in the human race. And the problem is rather than us being able to have our own souls restored... We've got, in a way, of blaming it on somebody else. They're not doing what I want them to do. They did that to me. This happened, and they did all those sort of things. And, and we've got all this idea, well, you know, if you've been through what they've been through, you'd understand. It's not a question of understanding and finding out what somebody's been through that's got them to that, that, that pattern. The thing is, we have to learn to call sin, sin for ourselves because as long as we blame our behaviors on somebody else jesus can't cleanse us from all the effects of that unrighteousness that's taken hold in our soul and it's gonna damage us so we say i am not getting this right I, i look at these words and i go you know Am I putting on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another? If somebody's got a complaint against me, uh, uh, oh, I'm complaining about somebody, am I doing that? Is that that love? And we look at that and we go, I'm kind of not measuring up in that area of my life. What's the benefit of that? The benefit of that is you've called sin, sin, and Jesus can cleanse you and heal you from its effects because you've seen the reality instead of it being somebody else's issue. Does that make sense? I know I went off on one there. And then the third thing is we've got to connect to the life of God that is in others. We've spent 18 months sat in our living rooms with the great joy of me talking, to and Cheryl talking, and Roger and Olive and a few others, talking to a camera with absolutely nobody there. And... Whilst that's not the end of the world, it's not meant to be like that. And here's the thing: this thing isn't going away for a long time. So we have to come to a, a, a view and and settle in our own hearts where we're gonna stand from here on in. Because the word of God says we're supposed to connect with each other. And and I get the things, you know, like we we did that survey. I'm sorry that this is kind of it's me trying to be a pastor. Sometimes I can be a bit direct when I'm trying to be a pastor because I've got your interest at heart and rather than bothering about me. Um, but he, here's the thing. Um, my mind's gone blank now. Yeah, so we did this survey, and and most of you guys will have filled it in some of you you know we're not everybody because we were limited on numbers but we had a lot of responses we had the maximum number of responses we could have and he, here's what this one of these things that is one of the novels of the surveys would you like the teaching to be online yes you would wouldn't you because it didn't cost you anything Have you actually caught up on the teaching during the week? No. What does that tell me? That tells me something that hurts my heart, not for me personally, but for where the enemy can get at us. Because he lulls us into this idea that we can sit at home and and still be connected to the body of Christ, when in reality he's eroded our connection because we always intend to reconnect we always intend to watch what's online we always intend to be at the prayer meeting we always intend to go to the bible study on zoom we always intend to do something but we don't why because our outer world's running our inner world and the only way you can fix that or one of the ways you need the three components and one of the ways is the one you're missing which is connection to the others in the body of christ not, not connection through a camera because we can go beyond that now, but connection where you can actually talk to somebody. And like Dean just said, you can shout, come on from the back of church and be excited about it. And we're going to take more steps towards freeing that up. But we need some reality of an understanding that actually what we're doing when we're not connected is damaging ourselves. I don't, I don't mind. I, I mind because... I'm a pastor, and I'm called to be a pastor, but I don't mind how many people are in the building. What I do mind about is that we're connected, and we love each other, and we're walking in character, and, and caring for each other. That's what's important. And and I think if the world saw more of that, they wouldn't be so bothered about all the arguments they have against Christianity. It's because they see the offense. It's because they see the disconnection. So what's the third thing? And it, I, Just going to finish with this. Here's the third thing. Connect to the word. Now, I think in charismatic circles, sometimes we can kind of go, I've had a lot of word. I've had a lot of word over the years. Here's what Paul has to say about this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And some of us are good at that, actually. But we assume everybody's good at it. And they're not. So we need to help them. Why? Because we're a church family. We're a body. And we help each other. So we help each other connect to the word. And how do we do that? By valuing it ourselves. So we, it says dwell richly. Now that word, dwell richly, is a Greek word, en oikeo. That's en. We know what that is from early in the sermon. Those who were listening, it means in. And oikyo means it's We've seen it in other contexts, oikos, which is household, in your house. So what when you put the two together, it means let the word take up permanent residency in your soul. <laughs> let it, That's its house. The house of the word of God is a permanent residency in your soul. And a person, um, th- the idea is, The the word describes, if you look at it in other literature, it kind of describes a person who's kind of at home, settled at home, contented, familiar with their surroundings, knowing where everything is and and, and all in its place, and at rest in that place. So what's it saying? It's saying, guys, the healing of your soul, the third component, is being at home and dwelling in the word valuing the word but not just valuing it living it living in it yeah. you can all have knowledge of it but it's living in it and that's that's why why we we as a body value the word not to exclude anything else but because This is what heals people. This is what changes lives. This is what sets people free. That's why we do it. Bottom line, what he's saying there is the word is the place where you live. Bottom line, the word is the place where you live. And you encourage each other in that. You look out for each other in that. And you connect to God on the basis of what he said. And the promises he's made to you and the things he's spoken to your heart about your value and the infinite love he has for you. So we need these three things. Connection to God. Connection to others, not letting anything come between us. And dwelling. And dwelling in the word, so much so that it's like just as familiar as we become with our own homes. And I bet, you know, I, I was loo- I was looking around my home uh, the other day and I thought, you know, 18 months ago, I was probably unaware of half the things that are in this room. And now I look and I go, oh, where did that come from? I, I've been going around, you know, to, saying to Cheryl like, when did we get that? And she said, oh, four years ago. <laughs> I've I've learnt not to do that with dresses I don't recognise. I say when when is that a new dress? And she goes, No, I've had it seven years. <laughs> so I don't do that anymore. But we've got to have these three things. And if we don't if we miss out on one, it will damage us. Put all three together, it heals us. And that's just so important in in what we've been through, isn't it? Because this has been a real attack of the enemy and it's time to kick back. And the way we kick back is these three things. They're not just the tools of our healing, they're weapons of our warfare. And it's time we go to war. Okay, okay. Um, I didn't actually know if this was going to happen or not, but... Uh, Young lady here has volunteered to uh, share a bit of a testimony, and uh, so she's just giving me the nod. So here she comes. So oh, you can use yours. Yeah, I,
2: <laughs> I wasn't sure that I was going to do this. So I wrote this up. I wrote this up in about January, um, and then I thought I don't want to share it, and then. Started to think, well, I think now is the right time, um, primarily because of everything changing tomorrow. I think now is the right time, um, but I thought, well, I haven't prepared it. I've got these notes, I've not read them in months, um, I haven't prepared it, but I still feel like I should perhaps do it. Um, so I chatted to Mark at the beginning, and he said, Well, you could do it next week. I said, but I'm preaching next week, so you <laughs> don't, you don't, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this might put you off, um, <laughs> but I thought, well. I you, you don't want that much of me next week. Um, so he said, oh, you could do it the week after. I said, well, actually, I'm on holiday. Um, <laughs> so, um, so here I am. I've tried to look through these notes and um, make sure that I don't drag this on for too long for you. Um, but basically, I want to be a bit honest and tell you some s- stuff which you might not know, which is that for many, many years when I was younger, I struggled really badly with what, you might have used to have been called hypochondria, but is now more likely health anxiety. Um, I didn't really understand that that's what it was. Um, it started when I was in primary school, and I, I grew very scared of being sick. I, I guess I must have had a couple of bugs which were particularly unpleasant, and, and it, it generated this fear. Um, and the more I focused on it, the more I felt sick. And that became this little vicious circle. I didn't really understand what was going on mentally at that point. Um, And eventually I was in the the toilets crying at church and this old lady, very sweet old lady, um, came in and uh, caught me because I tried to hide it. She caught me and asked me what was wrong. I told her and she said, well, let's pray about that. And we did. And uh, at that age, I had a very simplistic faith, as you do. And so I thought, well, that's that then. That's dealt with. And that that was fine. And I didn't have that issue again for a long time. Um, But then when I was in year six, the the star of the football team at school, he was fine one day. And then he felt a bit unwell. And his mum took him to the doctors. And um, it was discovered that his heart had enlarged four times the size it should be, and he suddenly went from being the star of the football team to being on a heart transplant waiting list. And as a kid, it terrified me. It really, really scared me, and I remember trying to get my head around that and sitting there and thinking, gosh, you know, my heart feels really strong, and I said to my mum, mum, I can feel my heart beating, and she didn't really understand what was going on behind that, and she said, well, just let me know if it stops. Um, <laughs> So (laughs) I I dealt with all of this on my own. Um, And I didn't know at that age that if you focus on things, then your brain can actually make you feel these things that you're scared of. Um, I didn't really understand that. Um, And over the years, like, it wasn't constant. It came and it went, and there were things that would make me really afraid. And I learned, I didn't, I was scared of hospitals. Because um, that's where all the sick people are. So I didn't want to go in those. Um, I was... Uh, um, if, if I walked down the street and someone coughed, I would instantly stop breathing until I was past them. And I'm still really good at that. And I do it without really thinking about it. Um, but it came to quite dominate. Um, I, mean I still lived a life at the same time, you know, don't get me wrong. But there if, if I had to confront anything to do with being ill... It came to dominate um and i think it was because this this could happen to anybody you know and i think it, i didn't like walking into hospitals because you see people that are unwell and i instantly think well that could be me that could happen to me um but at the same time i found medical things really interesting <laughs> and so i would sit in the good moments. i would sit and i would read these like first aid dictionaries and different things that mum had around the house Um, And at the time, that might be okay, but what I was doing was storing up knowledge, which would later come back to haunt me when I was struggling more. Um, And I'd imagine I had all kinds of different problems. And so my mum banned me from reading the medical dictionary. I wasn't allowed to. (laughs) If I had a concern, I had to go and tell her. (laughs) And she would look it up for me. Um, When I was in secondary school, there was the, the mad cow epidemic and people worrying about that transformed into humans, and I remember sitting there in the classes, and I couldn't concentrate because all I was thinking was, "Well, I ate beef in the 80s," um, <laughs> you know. And it it really, really came to dominate. And I, I God took me on a really long, but effective journey of dealing with it. Um, I'll try and scoot through, this. I don't want to take too long over sharing this, but there's uh, there's so many things I could say about it. Um, Slowly, I began to realize that a lot of this was probably in my head because I realized that when I wasn't thinking about it, I felt okay. But if I started to think about it, I felt ill. And I knew that I had to try and get control over what I was thinking about. Um, So I I prayed a lot and I knew Psalm 91 extremely well. Um, And I really wanted and prayed that God would take all the fears away instantly. And he didn't. Um, It came and went. Depending on what was happening in my life, what was happening in the world, and so on. And quite often I stand here now and I think, what what would I be like if this global scenario had happened when I was in that place? And I would have been a mess. I know it. Um, But over time, over the years, God very slowly got me to confront a lot of things in a gentle way that scared me um, so a friend was unwell in hospital so I had to go and visit her so I had to step foot into hospital and oddly enough I survived the experience and so it got a bit easier each time I did it um, I shared a friend I shared a house with a friend who got diagnosed with um, a recurrence of cancer while we were living together and so I watched her undergo chemo and it helped me to realise that even when you get some kind of illness, you still got a life that you've got to live. You know, we still went out and tried to have fun, and we still tried to have um, good times. Um, and she's she's well, and we're still friends. Um, the one thing that always came back to haunt me was vomiting. Always, um, if someone was sick near me, then I I couldn't, you know, I had to get out. Um, and So on one occasion, I ended up having to sit with a friend who had overdosed while we waited for paramedics and she was being repeatedly sick. But in my head, I knew it wasn't contagious. So it was extremely unpleasant, but I knew because it wasn't contagious, I I could and I should stay with her. And so that helped to chip away at the walls of fear. Um, But then, you know, you you kind of were walking forwards and making some progress. And then we decided to have a family. And I have to deal with pregnancy and several months of feeling really quite sick and having to keep confronting that and um, and it was it was not pleasant, but it it again it chips away at these walls of fear that I had surrounding all of that. Um, and then I had to deal with my own children being unwell. <laughs> and that was one of the things that really scared me about motherhood because I thought, well, this is something i've always I've always run away from. it's always terrifies me. I don't want to do that to my children Um, and then the weirdest thing happened the first time that one of them was like properly sick you know not like just a bit of milk coming back was the compassion that I felt for them sitting there covered in their own mess was so much stronger than my fear that I was able to deal with it and God taught me something about how he sees us when we're in a mess that, we, you know, we, we don't want to go to him because we are look at the state of me. But actually, his compassion is, I want to get you out of that. I want to clean you up. Um, so I wanted God to deliver me instantly, and he didn't. But when you let him walk you through stuff, you learn a lot more, yeah. actually. Um, and the end point of all of this was never to get to a point of like welcoming illness or enjoying it or (laughs) anything like that but it's to try and it was to get rid of the stranglehold that fear had and so I, I felt like I wanted to share this today because I think there's probably a lot of people that are afraid and you know I know what this could have done to me the last 18 months and yet by the grace of God here I am very different person to who i was and sometimes all i I can fall back on is well i know that if i die i'm going to heaven you know that sometimes it comes right back to that but if you do have that hope then that again is is it brings some peace um there's been a lot of times i've lost track of the number of times where i've seen things out there adverse whatever and they have been i feel they've been designed to try and make me afraid You know, they've been, all of this stuff which I feel like I've learned with God, it's been tested and tested and pushed and pushed and pushed. Will you be afraid? Will you be afraid? Will you let fear dominate the way you make your decisions over all of this? And I have to continually check um, the way I'm responding. But I'm sure I'm not alone. Um, And so what I wanted to say was to share that um and to say so i've got like my last paragraph that i wrote here i thought i wanted to read it directly um just i know what it is to be a slave to fear to be paralyzed by it and to feel completely overcome by it and unable to to get past it um i know what it is to let it rule and let it make the decisions that i make i'm not going to go to that because well you know i think someone's unwell there um I know how easy it is to get into that pattern of thinking, and if someone had told me back then that I would live through this, I wouldn't have believed that I'd been able to actually do it, Um, and I probably would have spent all of the intervening years worrying about it. (laughs) Um, But by God's grace, here I am. And what I wanted to say was, if, if that is a challenge for anyone, I'm guessing that anyone that's really genuinely finding this very difficult is probably, I'm talking to the camera rather than them being here because I know what I would have done back then. Um, and I'm not saying that we want to just ditch all caution, but we, we don't want to be in a place where fear is dominating the way that we continue to live the the coming days, weeks, months, or years. And so I'll pray for people now. But I also wanted to say that if it is you, if if you identify with that, then you can get in touch, and I'll I'll listen, because um, I know what it is. Um, and it, it feels yeah. You know, I never told anyone really about what all this mess that was going on in my head. Only God, and so it's quite vulnerable to share it. But hopefully that means that people know they can come and chat to me as well. Um, So, God, I thank you that you are always with us. And I pray that you would make that so very real in our hearts, that even when we think that this storm is too big for us, that we can go to you and you will come and you will speak those words, peace be still, and that storm might be in our heart, but you can come and speak those words and they're not just... You know, I wish this would happen, but that, that your words carry this creative force. When you tell us, do not be afraid, that carries the power for us to not be afraid. And I, I, I speak to those people that are struggling with fear at the moment. And I say, in Jesus name, do not be afraid because he's with you and he is with you in that boat. And whatever mess is going on in your head or outside in the world, he is there with you and we can always always count on you to help us even if it doesn't look like what we think it should look like and we'll get very you know we might get cross about that we can count on you to know what is best to bring us through these situations we face so i pray for your peace over people on a continual basis that you'll help us to take our thoughts captive and to bring them to you and to say god this is what's going through my head help me with it tell me what is actually true right now because actually that's very difficult to find out just in the world at the moment tell me what's actually true tell me your truths and let them overwrite the other things that have been written onto my heart by things i've read and seen and heard at the moment in jesus name Amen.